takes two to make a great marriage. You're right, but it starts with one. Mm -hmm. And when you can start with that one, that's exactly what happened in my marriage. It eventually transferred to my wife. Don't quit after three weeks because you didn't get the results. It took three years for my wife to go to church with me. It took years for her to do the personal development. But that's why we literally have arguably one of the best marriages I've ever seen. Welcome back to another episode of Pink Pill. I am your host, Jamie Lynn, and I have Mr. Tommy McAllister in the studio with me today. Welcome, Tommy. Thanks, Jamie. Pumped to be here. I know. I, I feel like I feel really pumped after hearing my intro song. I'm like like hyped up on energy drinks, ready to go. It's like very Vegas. <laughs> uh, music does a, it does wonders to us, right? It just gets us going. I know. It's noise. like it's a vibe for sure. And I felt like it had to like represent a little bit of Vegas. Yeah. But uh, we actually connected because you know my high school buddy, Tony. And how did you and Tony actually connect? We met through BMX, but it's kind of an odd story just because I used to be a drug addict just like him through Oxycontin. And so when I found him online, that was kind of before Facebook and things. I think it was like MySpace. Remember MySpace was... Oh my God, <laughs> MySpace. You're really dating us. I know. So <laughs> I think that's where we found each other. And I saw his story right, right when he first got out of prison and I reached yeah. out to him and... Like, there's not too many people, like, especially BMX is kind of a smaller community yeah. that had been in, like, Oxycontin and that type of thing. So we connected, and then just, we became, like, inner circle super quick. And you guys have been friends for a long time now, right? Yeah, so right after you got out of prison, so gosh, that had to be, like, 2009, 2010-ish. Wow. Yeah, That's, so like, what, almost 10, 10, well, 11, 12 years. Yeah. Well, oh, my God, no, my it's math is horrible. right now, so, yeah. Why was 14. I thinking 22? What year am I in? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, so, yeah, like, 14 years or so we've been friends, and so I've watched the evolution. What's awesome about Tony, I mean, if people have listened to that episode, is I watched, well, not in person, but, like, I was his friend when he did his first speech, and it was to, like, eight people, you know? Really? And then so, to see him grow to where he is now has been just, it's awesome and inspired my story, to right? To show anything's possible for anybody in life. Well, I love that. Well, he definitely um, recommended that you and I connect, and I'm happy that he did. You know, we've got a... We've, you're a keynote speaker, so you, you teach. You're also a men's leadership coach for mm -hmm. people that don't know. So that's a little bit about what you do. But you and I were kind of talking before the show started, and you had told me that you had a really interesting story about how you kind of got into coaching and how you moved to Vegas. And I, I wanted you to share that on the show if you're okay with that. Yeah, 100%. Okay. It's, it's a wild story because – and it's just ironic because now I live – in Vegas, technically Henderson, but just to be in here, like time's gone really slow, but really fast in the past four years. But four years ago in January, at the beginning of 2020, so a wild year for all of us in general. But like I said, I, I knew Tony through BMX. I hadn't been riding for a couple of years, but I decided to come out, I don't want to say retirement, but I guess you could say something like that. And they do a national here at the South Point Hotel. And the very first lap of the of the season, I crash and I mm -hmm. break five uh, five ribs. Oh and one punctures my lung. I separate my shoulder. I'm like out unconscious. And like they weren't just fractures. Like they were like severed. And it was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. Well, 
I'm on the uh, hospital ambulance ride to to the hospital here, and I ended up spending um, some time in the trauma ICU there. But at that time, I was living in Northern California, had no plans of living in Las Vegas. But it's it's what's crazy is in that moment, it was the best day of my life by far, because at that moment on the way to the hospital, I didn't feel God one percent in my life. And what's crazy is I was going to church, I was praying every day but I knew I was not living out his purpose for my life and honestly against his will. Mm. Because at the same exact time, my wife was in the, in the ambulance with me, but I have two kids and my two kids were back home in Northern California with my mother-in-law in my house, but my house was a grow house because mm. I was growing weed for a living, living illegally mm-hmm. and had been for about eight years. And so at that time of my life, I was not happy. I had stacks of cash. I had unlimited free time. I had a beautiful wife and two healthy kids, and I wanted to jump off the roof of my house every single day. Mm-hmm. I had basically did what Romans 12, 2 said, do not conform to the patterns of the world. I got everything of the world, and I hated my life. But God needed me to basically die that day to finally say, dude, what are you doing with your life? And that honestly, that moment is what catapulted us to eventually months later, COVID hits. We end up just moving on a whim, like shutting down our operation, moving here, out of like tell a while. me, tell me, kind of what happens like when you're in the back of the ambulance and you're feeling obviously like you're in a lot of pain and mm-hmm. you're super empty. Like, what? Like that was your come to Jesus moment. Like, what went through your mind? Did you did you say like, hey, I need more of you? Like, hey, something isn't wrong. Like, what kind? Like, what was the transition? Like, what was that conversation like? Well, honestly, I thought I was dead okay. because um, because I couldn't breathe, and so I mean, like. Suffocating, I think that would probably be one of the worst ways to die, right? Yeah. But like I couldn't, um, I couldn't breathe at all. And the way the paramedics were talking, where they were, they just kept saying, "I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything." Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking that is like, dude, dude, about to, I'm about to go. Hearing is the last. <laughs> hearing is the last sense to go to. Yeah. And so, so I, I, at that moment, I literally was just like, dude, I'm 39 and I have two young kids and I'm going to die. I'm going to be that guy that just died in the. This 30s. is not that long ago. Yeah, four years. Yeah, that's still pretty recent. Yeah. Wow. And so you were a Christian by mm-hmm. this time, right? Yeah. But like, like I, I feel like, you know, there's always been like one Bible verse that's always like really shook me. It said, many will come before me and they will say that they knew me. And I will mm. say, but I didn't know you. And I was like, oh my God, when I really break that scripture down, I'm like, that means that they're Christians. They know the Bible, but they, that relationship piece is missing. Is that kind of where you fell like you fell into? A hundred percent. Um because the way I always say about the Bible, right, like there's, there's two ways. There's God's way or the wrong way. There is no gray area, right? We don't get to take and pick and choose what we like, you know? Because eight years prior, I had gone out to become an entrepreneur. I hadn't gr- been growing weed. Like, when I knew Tony, like, I was on fire for God. Like, but I was just working a regular job at, at a, a Native American casino up there. But I left because God kept telling me there was more for me. There was more for me. Well, I left to become an entrepreneur. And I quickly watched my bank account go down to zero. And I had mm-hmm. mortgage and wife and two kids and all these things. And I was watching because I was in uh, where I was in Northern California was like the weed capital of of the world at that time. And all my friends are like balling out. They don't believe in God. Then they're just got all this money. And here I am serving God and like watching my life to fall to pieces. Little did I know he was testing me to see if I was. What will you choose? What will you choose? When it gets hard, what are you you still going to choose me? Because I'm going to give you something great in your life. But are you going to choose me? in to be able to get there because it's just not going to be an easy road well it's it's also like it is a test like god will absolutely test you you know there's no mm-hmm. testimony without a test right i'm sure you've heard that expression 100%. you know but it, i think what he does in, in those things is you know 
like there's the riches of, of of the world, right? And then there's you know the satisfaction that comes through faith and 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 the peace that you get with that, and that that's a rich that you can't possibly explain. Like you can't put a price on peace. You can't put a price on happiness, right? Like no money mm-hmm. in the no amount of money in the world, no girl in the world, like no car in the world can ever fulfill that for you. And I think when you can kind of choose between the luxuries of the world, right? Or, or, or the test of, will you be faithful in the little things? Mm-hmm. Like, will you serve me? Like, will you, will you pick me when it's hard? Like, what I think a lot of people miss about faith is that it's a two-way street. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to choose him. It's not a dictatorship where he's lording over you. He wants to know that there's love there and yeah. that you're willing to be there because he gives you freedom to choose. And I think that that was part of what you were being tested with. Yeah. No, 100%. So, yeah, it was wild because I failed um, the test because, and I don't know how, how it is for you, but, you know, we all we all have a different relationship with Christ, but I've only heard his actual audible voice, like, you know, two, three times in my life. But that was the first time where, like, I heard his voice and I was just, just so much turmoil. What did he say? Well, I was, like, just praying, like, God, tell me, like, should yeah. I do this or I not? Because I'm at my emotions one day during the day is like, okay, I'm good. I'll, I'll be all right. I'll, I'll make it through this. And then, like, when things feel really, really tight, it was just like a back and forth pendulum all day of emotions. And so I just basically was just an emotional wreck. And I said, God, just tell me what you want me to do. Do you want me to grow weed or not? And he said, no. Oh. Like, literally, no. Like, the clearest day. And I did it anyways. Did that scare you? <laughs> it did. Like, because. It's just for multiple things because you just typically don't, you know, here. Yeah. And then the next eight years of the, my life were like on paper should have been the best years of my life, but they were, they, it was terrible. But in the long run, I mean, I've got such an, I don't want to say just a testimony, but, but just like with what you do for, for your practice and what I do, you know, with what I do, it's, it all gave me that. Cause I, as I think I told you on the phone the other day, we're most qualified to lead the person that we used to be. So now I've been through so many hard times that it just gave me the authority to kind of speak That's, about it. That is what I that is what I deeply in my heart feel like. I think that whatever you're supposed to have leadership in is is a test you're going to have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Like you can't lead people unless you yourself have seen your way through it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and I think it gives when you can. Oh, it, we're we're here to be overcomers. We're not here to be wallflowers and to just you know be influenced by everybody. You know, and and it's those situations that we have to overcome. That means we're going to be in pain. And it says your tribulation, your tribulations will be many. Yeah. But he'll he'll be with you, right? Yeah. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. And it's like, when you when you walk with God, when when you've been through enough of those, you know, and I'm at a phase in my life where I've had several of those <laughs> experiences. When those those bigger trials that come down the tubes don't seem as scary because now I have a foundation of something where mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, I've been here before. I've been here before and I know what I need to do, yeah. you know. And <clears throat> it's – so after you had that um, like near-death experience, I guess we can we can say – you really made some drastic changes to your life and you started putting God first, it sounds like. And did that have like have an effect on on your marriage? You're you're married, you've been married for you've been with her for twenty four years, mm-hmm. married for seventeen, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've always had a really good relationship. Even early on, we I mean, we did and we didn't, right? So when I was a drug addict, um, I ended up cheating on her. She left for eighteen months. We were I don't want to say just dating at the time, but we were just dating at the time. Not that that makes it better or not, but so when she came back, that's when I originally found Christ, and she watched my life change. And we had a great marriage for the first, I guess you would say, seven, eight years. Um, didn't really argue. Intimacy, good. 
two young kids and it was good, just a pretty, but pretty average. Like the conversations weren't anything that like I craved or she craved. You know, we spent a lot of time together, but it wasn't anything special. Like, the, you know, we're going to probably talk about some sex on here today, but like the sex was good, but it wasn't anything to write home about. And that's just as much on me as it is on her. We were just very mediocre people in a lot of ways. But when, when I decided to finally like, because she worked a job for 19 years, the same job, barely above minimum wage, and just was a very, very, did no hobbies, no nothing. Mm. And so she was just this, I don't, very docile in a lot of kind ways. Kind of maybe complacent or just maybe like, a lot of people get very comfortable. Yeah. I think, or they like, um, they like what's predictable, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, especially women love, love what's predictable they, and they feel like a sense of security on that. So even though it's not like, they'll settle for boring, even mm -hmm. though that they know that there's something so much bigger or they, or they can see the potential, like this is what's safe. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. It was definitely some of that, but it was also where we lived. It was like mm. the next closest city was five hours away. Like it was Oof. in the middle of nowhere. So it That's was- That's rough, man. It was just, you weren't shown possibility. Nobody was making any money that other than, like I said, was growing weed or things. And her parents were very just like, just, I just, just normal. I don't, I guess I don't want to just without dog in them, but they just didn't show her possibility in life either. And so she didn't know there was a better way yeah. of living. She didn't know that you could have a deep relationship with God or she could lead yourself better in personal development and all these things. You didn't know, she didn't know you could create businesses, thought you had to like fall into that or like something. So when, when COVID hit, I was just, well, one, we were in California. And so that was rough enough, but two, um, I, I was like, babe, we just about died. Like, I can't keep just doing the same thing. God's telling us to move. And so we started an online fitness and nutrition business. And that's what I was into at the time. That was like my only thing that made me happy in life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, babe, why don't you come in and do it with me? And that was like, I don't know. I might as well have been asking her to walk on water because it was like that crazy of a thought out process. But, I, but God willing, she ended up doing it because we started really, really growing close at that mm -hmm. time. We started going on like a nightly walk. And I'll tell you what, that's like one of the most important things. We still do it to this day with no interruptions, nothing. And we started getting to really actually know each other. Wow. After all that years, then we understood like my fears. I started getting vulnerable as a man, whereas I'm, I'm the tough man. I didn't want to tell her I wanted to jump off the roof of the house because I don't want her to think about that her husband that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I started telling her my fears in life. How did, how did she, you know, because men get a lot of, Heat, especially in the red pill community, they they shun men from being vulnerable because they say that women will reject them. They won't look at them as as masculine. How did your wife respond when you started opening up and sharing some of these, like your your deeper wounds? She she responded great. It, I just wouldn't. Say, I feel like most women would. Yeah, I think it's also how you phrase it, right? Like, and all these other things. And I guess I didn't come out straight from day one and just start. Well, also, it's it's probably I, I think vulnerability like if we can paint a clearer picture of what that actually looks like you're not crying in the corner 24 hours <laughs> yes. a, a day or you know you're, you're not doing that and asking her to wipe your tears away you're having moments where you're exposing some turmoil they're yeah. moments and they're periods of time it's not like a persistent pervasive emotional response yeah and i think that's why i think that's why there's so much maybe like backlash you know, for men to express that, but, but women do desire that. And, and I, I think you're, you're like, women can feel often relieved to know what's going on because men's lack of communication is quite frankly, very scary for women. Mm -hmm. So I, they would rather have more communication than not. Now yeah. women want men to have emotional control. That's the difference, but they want vulnerability. So I'm glad that you're talking about that. Cause I think that's such an important thing for men to hear, Yeah, you know? 
Yeah, because it's it's I always use this for our clients and stuff when I talk about vulnerability yeah. or my wife. It's like we know each other so well because we spend it's not like we need to spend we do because we work together, but for the an average couple who doesn't spend all day together because of their work, 20, 30 minutes a day of uninterrupted time, like you get to really check in with each other. You get to really, you don't talk about the kids and the bills. You talk about just some different stuff. And because of that, I always know what's going on in her heart. So if maybe the kids are frustrating her and she kind of snaps at them, I'm not like, yo, why are you yelling at the kids? And then I'm getting mad at her because she's yelling at the kids. I understand why she's maybe getting frustrated with the kids. And I say, hey, babe, let me go ahead and just come in here and take this. I know you know what's going on. Let me go get this right. Or with me, if she knows that like I'm just grinding at work, you know, doing all these things, I've expressed where my frustrations are in work or things that are stressing me out or anything like that. She knows what's going on. So she knows that like if I'm being quiet or maybe anything else that that's not, she knows how to react with that. But because we are talking about those things, but if I don't tell her, she's like, what's wrong with this guy? Is it me? Yeah. All these other things. Yeah, women can really kind of overanalyze things and women are really good at making things their fault. Mm -hmm. When they don't have that information and there's a lack of communication, they're really good at making things their fault and blaming themselves and then internalizing those problems. So, you know, vulnerability, the way that you're describing it is I think is how it was intended to come across. But we have this really kind of unfortunately very negative view for men to be vulnerable and do you know how many men and maybe you run across the same thing being a, a coach for men that can't describe feelings yeah do you know how many men that i work with where i'm like how like how is that making you feel and they're limited to one or two feeling yeah. words it's shocking to me like we, we we like sometimes we have to kind of do like feeling wheels and, and that's that's not to that's that's to provide education and and what's so sad is that they feel embarrassed by that you know yeah. it's it's kind of like how like it's kind of like if they get help they're shamed even mm -hmm. it, it's it's really frustrating for me and being in a helping profession and I'm sure it is for you to see them to see men kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, and it's because of the culture that you're talking yeah. about. It's like, suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. And I always say the person who says suck it up and deal with it is actually the weakest person in the room, right? And I have a story about, um, just because as, as my journey goes on, but I have a friend of mine who is a Navy SEAL. I think, I don't know about most of you guys men out there. I love Navy SEALs. That's like my spirit animal out there. Okay. Um, but anyways, so this guy's like a, a well-known author in the Navy SEAL community, and I've become good friends with them but I did a weekend with them with three days me and him and like maybe there was probably like 15 20 other men and at the end of the weekend he told us at the end he said this is the most elite group of men I've ever spent time with and we're all looking at each other like yo you were in Navy SEAL for eight years and trained some of the most notorious names out there that we all would all know like how could we be the most elite men that you've ever known and he says because you guys are willing to get vulnerable mm. he says we're doing all these hard coming things. from a Navy SEAL yeah yeah. Do they teach? I wonder if they even teach vulnerability to to you know men that are like in the you know. I, I guess you would have to be vulnerable with your partners because you're trusting them with your life. You would think, you know, and and I guess I didn't really go too deep with them on that, but you know, just for him to say that, I would imagine that there it is somewhat closed off, right? Because of all that hard stuff they're doing, you know, you don't. I know a lot. My, my whole family's law enforcement. Um, I work with some some law enforcement clients, and a lot of them, same thing in in the workspace there, especially in law enforcement. They can't speak up about their vulnerability because they're they'll be pulled off the force, and then they'll lose their career because of it. Because then they're thinking, okay, you're going to shoot somebody, you're going to do something crazy. I, you know, I know it's it's. I I run up against some of that stuff as well when I have people that want to come to me for mental health care, like I, I always have to assess if they're in the military because I know that at any point in time, 
they might subpoena my records. And if so, it could have a negative impact mm -hmm. on their uh, career, you know. And so I hate even having to have conversations like that where they make mental health care really difficult to get. And that's part of why mental health is so stigmatized, mainly to men. Yeah. It's saying that, oh, there's, you know, instead of getting help, or commending somebody for getting help and wanting to work on themselves. Like we don't shame people for going to the gym and wanting to improve their physical body. Why are we shaming them for wanting to improve their mind? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, I, I had a, a revelation the other day, but so I, I lead, our kids have to do certain things. You know, we lead our kids kind of very similar. We lead our clients, we homeschool them. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way we kind of teach in, in our uh, in our coaching is four main pillars, physical, mental, spiritual, and relational. So. Because we want, you know, physical body matters, you know, mm -hmm. and then your spiritual obviously is important and then being mentally strong and all of that. And then how you handle relationships, that's friendships, but plus your marriage yeah. and things like that. And if we're doing good across the, the, the front then the, and we're doing it a daily, like have habits that are daily there and we're winning across the front, then there's no weak spots for those thoughts to get through. There's no weak spots for the devil to find that. But if we're only winning in three and then the fourth slagging and we're not focusing on it, well, where do you think the devil's coming through? Where do you think our thoughts are gonna come through? So we need to really do across the boards because I'm sure the same thing, you know, like there's a lot of physically fit dudes that I know that are struggling in so many areas. Or I know a lot of dudes who are winning financially, but they're struggling in so many areas because they're not winning in all of those areas. And so it is important to make sure you're focusing equally on all of those things. Then you're, you're well-rounded rather than not out of balance, you know? I, I think balance is really kind of the key there, like mm -hmm. you mentioned. And it is a good thing to talk to, to hit every single one of those targets because we can get hyper fixated on like one or the other. But I think at some point, I don't know. You can tell me what you think about this. I, I, I feel like at some point something's going to something's gonna crash. At some point, like it, you know, finances might be good, body might be good, but the kids aren't behaving, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like this, like it's almost unrealistic to think that everything has to be kind of going well. I, I think what what is important for us to do is – we have to overcome the environment. So whatever the environment presents is the challenge to overcome it, right? Yeah. Like, um, and it's, and, and, and imperfection is part of the process. You know, it, it's, we're not going to ever have everything okay all the time. Yeah. You know, and that's very frustrating for people, you know, because people have a tough time managing their emotions when their environment is in chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Cause especially as like Christians, right. Or things like that, it's like, we don't, because we're Christians or maybe like we're saying, we're winning at all four fronts. It doesn't mean that the world's going per yeah. perfect. Our spouse may get cancer. A family member may die. Like a pandemic may hit the, 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 the country, whatever it is, but it's how we control those circumstances rather than the circumstances controlling us. Right. And so when we're prepared for those, we've had like a wild past couple months in our life in specific uh, circumstances. And without getting into this, this, and normally I'm an open book, but with this person who's in my life just to protect them, we had like a crazy situation that when I found out was one of the harder things I've ever heard in my life. And it's gonna be something I have to deal with for the rest of my life. And when I found that, me and my wife, like, like literally we were so connected in that moment and I was about to head out, I would do like this prayer walk for X amount of days. And so I was like, we got done with that. I said, all right, babe, well, I'm heading out with my normal routine. I can't get off my routine. I'm gonna go do this. And then the next morning up, we still went to the gym. We still did all of our stuff. And on the way back from the gym, I was like, babe, how you doing after that talk last night with that situation? She's like, I'm doing like really, really good. And it was like one of the hardest things we've ever heard in our life. And I was like, babe, two years ago, three years ago, that would have crushed us. We went to gone to the gym today. We'd be down in the dumps all day, but 
we are able to handle those circumstances so much better. doesn't mean they're not going to come our way. I'm just able to handle them so much better now because we're focusing on all of those things on a daily basis and doing them, especially as, as a marriage, doing them together. We were able to handle it. I yeah, That's just such a beautiful example that you shared of how the world can be really chaotic. But you you mentioned something routine, which I, th- which I think is so important, right? I think structure and having something predictable, especially when there's chaos, is really good for our emotions and it's really good for our mind because our mind like likes what's predictable. And so if we can feed it something positive, if we can continue to invest in it, like going to the gym, eating healthy foods, having that communication, um, it can really benefit us in times of crisis. You know, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like you and your wife have a very strong partnership. Mm-hmm. And I really like the dynamic because it sounds like you do things together and you reach decisions together. And I have a question for you because I kind of challenge a lot of toxic masculinity viewpoints and, and things about Red Pill. And Red Pill talks about uh, women needing to be de- submissive and default to men's leadership. And you are a men's leadership coach. Tell me kind of, if you can, ex- explain how that dynamic works. What do you think is healthy as far as women being submissive following a man's leadership in the home, um, and, and partnership, how does that all work together? Well, I mean, if, if you want to like go, it's bit, a loaded question. <laughs> no, 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 it really is. Sum that up in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if you just go back to like this biblical, right, it talks about being submissive and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of people focus on that one verse mm-hmm. and they forget all the other verse that comes right. with it. They stop there and just say, the woman's supposed to submit to the man, mm-hmm. which is part of it. Well, then the other part of the verse says, because if, if the man is doing for her basically what Christ did for the church, well, what did Christ do for the church? He was willing to die for the church, right? So if we're willing to be that person, then the wife is going to feel secure in those things. And so me and my wife have a great dynamic because I am, I lead by example. So for like what I was telling you, uh, she was super docile, didn't have any passions and things. Like I was still racing BMX, still had like all these desires. Well, she didn't have any of them. But then we, we just talked about disciplines. When I led by example for for years, she eventually started getting into fitness. She eventually got into faith. She eventually started getting into podcasting. She, you know, it was just one thing after another. I didn't force it upon her. Best piece of advice I ever got was like when I first um, found faith. I was going to a Catholic church at the time. Um, don't anymore. Not that the church did anything wrong to me. Just don't go. My, 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 the priest at the time said, "In her own time," because I was like, "Yo, why isn't she like?" following my lead and going to church and like doing all this stuff. Like she's watched that miracle happen in my mm-hmm. life. And he's like, man, in her own time, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't put any expectations or pressure, but show so much fruit in your life mm. that eventually she'll have no, no reason but to Ooh, follow your lead. That is wise words, man. I love, I love, I love that there's no power and control. Yeah. I love that there's the complete freedom for her to choose. And I think that that's, you know, respect is you know commanded right like and and i don't think that you know something about leadership that i think is really important for women to hear is i don't think that everybody's a leader there are certain qualities that you need to pay attention to in in a leader and you and the conditions also have to be healthy mm-hmm. um which is something that people don't talk about in order to default to leadership like mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when we talk about relationship dynamics, we leave a lot of abuse out, and, and and that's quite common, and yet we don't tell people what that looks like and how things play out. If you're in a situation that's unhealthy, that's not really safe for you to default to somebody's leadership. Exactly. 
you know, but that's not, there's no real love there. So leadership has real love. Leadership gives you safety. But you also said something too that I've heard the red pill community say, and I want to get your thoughts on this. It says, well, Christ died for the church and, and, and he did. And they will, they will agree with you on that. And they will say, well, I'm willing to die for her, but because of that, uh, she needs to, have sex with me whenever I want. She needs to make me a sandwich and still be subservient. What What would you say to that? Are you guys saying the same things or are you saying something slightly different? <laughs> Definitely not saying that <laughs> stuff. And so just what kind of makes me think about that, right? Like, so obviously we all know about like the five love languages, yeah. right? I, I like them. I think they're very surface level. Like they, they play a part, but a lot of people like lean on them. Like, oh, just feed her love languages and you're good. Mm-hmm. Well, I could feed somebody's love language but that wouldn't be out of desire. I have to want to have that love language, right? And so the reason I'm bringing this up is so like, if we take the, the, the five love languages, typically for men, what I noticed, we have affirmations and physical touches ours. A lot of times for women, it's acts of service. And what I've noticed happen in not only our life, but so many people, if you can, well, you sometimes got to force it, put quality time to number one. And if you get quality time, like we're saying, we were doing that walk. I got to know my wife so well. She got to know me so well. She wanted to have physical touch with me. Mm-hmm. She wanted to do all of those other things. Same with me. I now wanted to do the acts of service. But in the other way, it's like, well, I'm only, she better have sex with me because of that reason. Well, no, she wants, we got to make our woman want and desire to do that. Not just like, oh, well, I'm going to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. So you have to, one, show the fruit, but two, get to know each other so well. So it's vice versa. I desire to do those things for my wife because I know it makes her happy. But if I don't really know her, I guess at, at sometimes it feels like a chore. Well, then the marriage feels more like a chore and, than an actual desire. Yeah, I, and I can't see that that lasting. And and like in healthy relationships, your energy is moving towards each other. That's that's both people moving towards each other. Mm-hmm. Not one person saying you do this and enforcing, you know, that with like power and control. And I love the way that you broke that down. How how your inspiring her and you're getting her excited and she that desire is becoming her own choice her own willingness something that she wants to do and become a part of and something that she is defaulting to of her own free will Mm -hmm. let me just say that exclamation mark you know if you're ruling by fear and if you're ruling by force (laughs) then she's not choosing it and that's absent of any love there yeah and then they wonder why these marriages fail they're like oh well ever you know 50 percent divorce rate well yeah, in in a in a situation like that, I don't know many women that will want to stick with a guy that that treats them that way. Right, and not only is it fifty percent divorce rate, it's they did the other fifty percent, thirty five percent of them are unhappy that stay together. So mm-hmm. it's really only fifteen percent that. that are actually even happy out of them. You know, either that eighty five percent are getting divorced or just unhappy, and so it's wild. And so I know we possibly get into sex, and I'm going to tell something here because you just said like, well, she needs to have sex with me. When you lead yourself so well like that in the way you love them but then you're also leading yourself well it's crazy what will happen my wife uh she's 42 her testosterone got she initiate initiates sex more than i do and believe me i initiate the fair, my fair share amount her testosterone level is a 13. now i know women's is definitely a lot lower than men but mine's 1400 so i got a big time difference testosterone level than hers we didn't know it was that low because she's so into sex and what it proved was how much it's not your hormones and things like that. It's the love in her heart. Mm. It's the Jesus in her heart. It's the way that I carry myself that she's just like, I love my man so much. I don't care if my body's not necessarily turned on. My heart is turned on for this man right here. 
and we had a funny story just that just happened recently, but I want to tell you, like, it's just crazy to me. It just was a great reminder recently. So probably like, I don't know, a month ago, my wife was sick, multiple days, just like feeling like death. I came, so our office is in our house. I came out and was telling her about how the calls were going and blah, 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 blah. And then she was like, um, like flirt, started flirting with me. She was looking death and she was like, you're looking good today. And I was like, oh, well, thanks, baby. I appreciate it. And then I'm like, here's how the calls went. And she said, um, uh, and then I, she's like, what's on your schedule besides me? And I was like, babe, like, <laughs> you're sick. I'm like, you're sick. Like, you are not feeling like this That's right now. That's a great now. pickup line. <laughs> I know. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is crazy. And But in that moment, not only was I showing leadership how I was leading my clients, um, I said, babe, I'm about to go get our son and I'm going to take him to the gym. So now I'm showing him leading our kids well. And I'm doing all these things that she was just like, dude, I can't believe this is my husband because she still saw me years ago as that. But I can't, she can't even correlate between the two because I'm such a different man now these days that even then we so then we go upstairs and we have sex middle of the day and when we get done she says thank you for being so good to me and I'm like babe are you joking with me right now you were just laying dead on the couch and you were pursuing me and you're thanking me mm-hmm. like but so one of the reasons I'm telling that story is men that that's so possible when you do what Jamie was just talking about here when you give her the choice to be who she is and let her true God-given chosen ability shine and you create that space and you encourage your wife and you champion your wife and then you lead yourself well on top of it, that will happen. But if you're demanding your wife to have sex with you, it's no and, good. And I, I, that's such a, that's a great example. And I, and like being a marriage and family therapist, I know that that works. I know that. But so many people don't believe that that actually is how guys can get laid more. And I, you know, I tell guys this all the time. I go, you want to get laid more? Do the dishes. Like really, because like those those little things, like that that willingness to show up for her, that's just kind of a basic example. But it's the willingness to invest in her. It's it's the willingness to be attuned that, hey, she's you know if she's done this this and this and she's tired, this helps and that's the turn on. Yeah, that's the turn on. You know, um, and so just kind of understanding those love love languages, understanding how to meet your partner's needs makes people makes women more sexually receptive to their partners. Yeah. Why do you, like, what do you think is, let's kind of talk more about the sex, because I think that that's something that my viewers can really benefit from. It's a big problem in relationships because it's so important, right? And so if you're not having, like, you know, somebody once, I had, one of my clients told me this, and I thought it was really interesting, and he said, you know, I'm having plenty of sex, but it's not good sex. Mm. So he wasn't satisfied. It wasn't that he wasn't getting enough sex, it was that it wasn't good sex. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, I mean, so if you eat the same pe- pepperoni pizza every single day, it's gonna get boring, right? Mm-hmm. So when I do my keynote speeches, um, I literally, before I get up there, I don't talk about myself. My very first line that I say, say is, my wife had sex with 12 different men last year. That's the very first thing I tell the crowd. And everybody's like, what the? Yeah, no, I, I got shocked a little too. I was <laughs> like, what? Uh, do we wanna go here? <laughs> and, and the reason I say that, so I, I save the ending for the end of my speech, but what, and I'll break it down here, is because in January, I was one man. February, I was a, a different man. March, I was a different man. I kept getting, I get better every single month that my wife now sees a new wrinkle in me and she goes, man, I just desire him so much. I'll tell you what, me and my wife have so many, because we do, she does coach with me on the, if it's couples, she coaches with me. And just to see my wife in a new dynamic or see her coach in a different way of authority that I've never seen her before, when we end those coaching calls, 
so many times that we just have sex right then because I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so turned on right now because you're a new woman I've never seen before. But if she stays the same woman throughout our whole our marriage and just doesn't change at all, I've already seen everything of it. It's not exciting anymore, right? And so same thing for the man. If we keep growing and changing for the better, it just gets better sex. So like then I'm basically having sex with a new woman. It's just my wife. And then that passion grows. Like I said, we've been together for 24 years. So we've had sex insane amount of times and it just gets better. And most people don't think that's possible. And they think I'm lying when I say I'm not joking. It gets better. But because the love gets so much deeper. That well, that's, I, that's such an important piece that I think a lot of people miss when they look at long-term monogamous relationships. They, they think boring, but I think better. Because the intimacy, mm. that the intimacy makes it so much better. Yeah. Like, imagine being in love with somebody for the last 10 years versus a one-night stand. Yeah. Like, somebody that knows you, somebody that you feel safe with. Like, the intimacy puts a caveat on 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 how it can really level up your sexual experience. And, and I think monogamy is really kind of underrated when it, like, we tend to kind of put the, the label on it that it's boring when I'm like... I don't think so at all. Like, especially not for women where there's that predictable safety component mm -hmm. there for them, you know. And if you're not getting vulnerable, right, like we were talking about earlier, sharing or getting to spend yeah. quality time, me and my... Me and my wife talk about like things all the time, like, hey, how, what could we do differently? And most of the time it's by this point in time we've have it so polished, but still it's like most couples don't talk about like what they actually like or don't like, you know? Well, I think a lot of, I think, you know, a lot of men, I don't know if they're very sexually open. Mm -mm. I, I like, I know men talk a lot about sex, but when it comes to actually expressing their sexual desires and what they want from their partner, I think a lot of men really get very shut down. A hundred percent. I see that so much in, in so many couples. And honestly, what's wild is we get a lot of women who are desiring more sex from their men. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when I, you know, I'm obviously in, in a sphere where I hear a lot of like misinformation and they always talk about how men want variety and things like that and how men are just wired for sex. And I'm like, and you think women aren't? Yeah. <laughs> you think that women don't don't have the same sexual urges that you do they do it's just impulse control is probably a little higher you know but um i like i like sex is such an important part of a relationship and it's important to find something that works for you and i think you can have variety but still even with the same person if mm -hmm. that's an argument that that i hear men making like i like yeah, like I've all, I've also heard that you know I've also talked and counseled to many men that have the world at their fingertips, have access to tons of women, all the money in the world. Kind of what you were kind of introducing the the um <clears throat> the, the talk today with, and yet you felt so empty and none of that was satisfying to you. Mm -hmm. Like it's because the meaning doesn't come from that. It mm -hmm. never does. Like you can have sex till you know, from here to God knows when, and, and it will never fill up your cup. More isn't going to fill up your cup. Mm -hmm. It's we're we're spiritual beings first and foremost, and sex is a spiritual act, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that requires a deep level of connection and intimacy, if, you know, and, and that is what is fulfilling. That's the thing that makes it so good. Obviously it feels good, but when you put that on top of something that already feels good, like it's bonding. Yeah. No, it 100% is, you know, that's why, you know, the Bible says sex is for marriage, right? And then when you do that, you're doing, God's a God of order. You do things the right way, right? And when you do that, it becomes that. But, you know, 
I don't, you know, I don't speak for other people, right? But for myself, you know, when I've had sex with a lot of women, and it honestly was always a letdown at the end, right? It was kind of like, well, that was cool, but like it wasn't all that great, right? But there's something special that one it is with a woman, right? Like when my, your wife, that's like so special. It's it's just it's it's just something you can't explain when your love is that deep and it's so passionate. Like it it doesn't end at the orgasm; it keeps going. Like me and my wife have had some of the most deep conversations about God, about growing our business, about other things, like after sex is over and it's just going because we're just so high on life at that moment. But if we have sex with just a random, it's like, cool, that was a cool experience, but all right, where are we going to eat? You and know? a lot of times when, when, when it is that situation, I think shame and guilt are often attached to that. Mm -hmm. There's a shame and a guilt and usually a remorse and a regret for doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, I've kind of we've kind of talked about what men can do differently to maybe improve their sex life or get their women to maybe be more receptive to them. But what advice do you have for women? Mm. So my wife, this is what I, I, my, it's my wife is is so amazing, and um, you know when she listens back, she's always going to tell me, tell me, thank you for always honoring me. But she's amazing. I always say she's my favorite transformation. Um, when we, like I said, um, I think we were talking about maybe that's before we were on here. Like our sex was always good in our marriage before. Like I said, we didn't argue and the sex was good, but it wasn't, it was, I think it's what you were talking about with some people. It's like, it's just not exciting. I have a lot of sex, but it's not exciting. So we still probably had sex two, three times a week, but it wasn't just anything to write home about. And she had to have the lights off. Mm. She had to, uh, she couldn't, maybe I couldn't see her. She was literally, she, at the time she probably weighed 140 and she's five, six. She just didn't like the way her body looked. She wasn't self-confident about herself. When she started feeling good about herself, she was able to love me not only better as a, as a wife, but as an individual. That's why this, the, the, the second commandment says, um, love your neighbor as yourself. Keyword, as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, good luck loving your husband all that much. Good luck loving anybody else. You'll pour into them, but you're just going to be empty. You're pouring from an empty cup. And so when you love yourself, so when my wife started focusing on herself and growing herself physically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally, guess what? The lights could be on. It could be the middle of the day. She was down for different positions because she wasn't worried about like maybe seeing her body in a certain way. She saw herself as somebody that was worthy of all of this stuff. Well, then if a man's leading himself really well and, and she's not like doing anything, she then doesn't think that she's maybe even worthy of him, right? Mm -hmm. And so when my wife flipped that, she became so much more sexual and enjoyed sex that much more. She didn't feel like this tension around it. It was free. And so as simple as it is, but it's the same thing. When you focus on start loving yourself more and doing those daily habits, it's crazy what will happen to the way you view yourself. That's a that's a really beautiful um, that's a really beautiful point of view. And I think that's something that women need to hear. I think I think women kind of lie to themselves about that, to be to be honest. And I might get a little heat from the ladies, but just bear with me. You know, a, a lot of a lot of women are, are told to love and accept themselves as they are. And I don't disagree with that, but I want you to really challenge yourself and be honest if you're happy with the way that you feel and the way that your body functions. You have to really be honest with yourself. If, if you are, then great. Um, but, but most women that are having these negative sexual experiences, like you said, there is some degree of shame. There could be even some trauma, right, that they need to work through. Th these parts of themselves that maybe it's more emotional than physical, right, and it's just kind of physically manifesting in their body where it's just like a lot of, you know, many women, like I think it's like one in five have been a victim of SA. 
you know, you can hold that body and your trauma and then that, that again can put up a barrier for you to be like open with your partner. Like those things are really important for you to heal from like mind, body, soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so important because you know, this, the saying I think is what you're getting was like so many people are like, well, the beauty comes from the inside and it does. But at the same time, our body doesn't perform the way it's supposed to. Our hormones go up the way we sleep. Just everything is, isn't there. And so it's not as yeah. body shaming or anything like that is what it's just. It, well, it and on the flip side, too, I think a woman get a lot of heat for wanting to look good, too. It's like there's two sides of this, you know, um, where it's like, oh, they're too vain or they're, you know, even narcissistic is the the new word that's kind of popping up, popping up then if, if a woman takes care of herself. Uh, she's supposed to take care of herself, but if she does it too much, she's narcissistic and full of herself, right? So, again, it's a, it's a hard line to draw, and that's why I kind of go back to ladies. Like, you've got to be the one that determines what that is for you. Yeah. And you've got to be really honest with yourself about, am I really happy with the body that I'm in? Are the, What can I control, right? Because there might be aspects of this that you can't control, but what can you actually control? And then, again... Looking at kind of that that wounded is are you having like emotional blocks from being open like like are you do you have a negative energy like around men or around your husband are you holding on to past resentment right like was there infidelity and now you feel like he doesn't deserve like all of these mm -hmm. things I think for women are things are, are important things for them to take a look at and be really honest about what the answer is and then are you willing to change it because a lot of women will get aware and they're like okay well I'm aware and now what. Yeah, and that's when it gets even more dangerous yeah. because you know yeah. and then you don't do, and that's when it's hard. It's be like if we know that God can do all these things, but I'm not doing using his power, right? I mm -hmm. know I'm specifically chosen, but I'm doing nothing. That's when it's really, really hard in life because then, you know, you're just dropping the ball, and that's, I always, that's why I love disciplines. I always say go to bed a champion, wake up a champion. That's why you do everything on your non-negotiable list every single day, no matter what. And so one, and so maybe this will encourage some women out there, but what, I, what I'll champion about my wife is, she, the very, she became a worldwide fitness and nutrition coach, but just even four or five years, uh, probably five years ago, first time really getting in the gym, she would cry every single time she went. She would be crying in the gym because she was so like down on herself. Mm. Well, then became a worldwide fitness and nutrition coach. Now she works out even more than I do, and I love working out, and she just fell in love with it. Um, gosh, and I had a whole, a, whole, a whole point for this. So she became disciplined, right? So that's where I was going to go. So she became really disciplined with non-negotiable habits. Well, in the past uh, few years, she did two years straight of 10,000 steps every single day, non-negotiable. She did 40 straight days of cold plunges, and she did 75 hard, the real 75 hard, no nothing. I did that. Yeah. I did well, now it. you're the third. I did, I did phase, I did it to phase two. There you go. Because mm -hmm. I always say Diane's only the second woman that I personally know. No, I did it. Now me you're and the my, third. Me and my boyfriend did it together, yeah. So and, and so mm -hmm. and then look how you see yourself. Look at the things you're doing, right? And so, by her doing that, well, during those times, her dad died. Mm. She had to fly across the country, be in the house when they wheeled his body out. She still did her disciplines that day. She didn't say, "Well, no." Nobody would have told her, "Hey, you, you dropped the ball." They would have all gave her grace. You know who 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 would know, knew knew she if she dropped the ball? Her. She did. Yeah. She went to bed that night a champion and woke up a champion. That's how she's changing lives around the world today from being somebody who didn't see herself or anything because she did it no matter her dad dying, whether she was sick or whatever thing, because she knew she was worth it. And because of that, now she's changing lives. And so whether you that's she just did the work, right? Go to bed a champion, wake up a champion. That's such a beautiful way to put that. And I love how you honor her like throughout the podcast. It's it's really nice when I can see a, a man um, just in love with his wife and speaking so positively about her because 
um, I want I want I, I want to have people on here that have healthy marriages and and give people hope to say hey it's possible mm-hmm. it's like it, this is possible you know and so it's such a good conversation to have and and that's kind of like the example that you gave me is a great example of her overcoming her environment I remember I did me and my boyfriend decided to do 75 hard and I went through something incredibly traumatic during that time mm. and I had that same kind of um, moment and I said well, I'm picking me first. I'm picking me first. There's nothing that makes me want to go to the gym. There's nothing that makes me want to drink this gallon of water. I certainly don't want to meditate, you know, but I was like, but I'm here and I'm doing this and I committed to this. And no, I had no accountability to anybody mm-hmm. at that point in time except me and God. And I said, well, I'm doing it. And I was really, once I did that, I mean, I still gave myself time to cry. I still gave myself time to grieve. But there was a piece that came with that that I don't really know how to explain. It was like it, it, when you choose you and you invest in yourself, there's never any regret mm-hmm. in that. Like I would have had regret not doing it, but yeah. I didn't have regret doing that. And it's a way like I, 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 I look at it like this. What you do today is how you're taking care of yourself tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's a way that you're investing in your future self, in your relationship. Like, you know, you want to have healthy marriages. What are you doing today to create a healthy marriage tomorrow? You want a better relationship with yourself? Well, what are you doing today to 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 make you, you know, to, to make that an, an option? And a lot of people will pass the buck. And a lot of people will blame their circumstances and blame their environment. And you know what? They're not wrong, but it's not working for you. You can be right. You can have all the reason in the world to stay home and not go to the gym and, and, you know, and not practice forgiveness and not, and you can be so right in not doing any of these things and you won't be any happier. Yeah. Your future self isn't going to be any happier. It's what you do today. It's making those daily sacrifices and using it as an investment and a tool to move yourself forward to where you want to be. Yeah. You know, but they're be- that's a beautiful example of what she was able to overcome and what you were able to overcome. Your communication with her is really good. Yeah. Very encouraging. Do you guys ever argue? It's, it, and this is crazy because I think I told you just on the phone the other day. It's been probably over 10 years. And I feel like people are going to have a hard time believing you. I when get, you say I get that. called BS all the yeah. time, and it's just it's it's wild um, to even think about if so. Like for, we're, we're business partners, and I would say where that's where it's come the closest because of like the business dynamics of things. Be but because we hold ourselves so accountable to things that if I see her like and maybe some area where I think she needs to step it up in the business, I can have that hard conversation, and she just knows you know you're probably right. And then she can accept that. But most people but do you get know defensive. why? But do you know why she can accept that from you? Because you created foundation of trust and you had love and you had respect. Right. Right. If you didn't have that foundation, she would have probably been more resistant. Right. But it's because of how you invested in her and how you loved her that she's able to have that no resistance approach to you. Yeah. And it's like as we were saying. Or that submission, I guess, in a way. Or, well, maybe that's not necessarily submission, but you get what I'm saying. Sure. But it's, it goes both ways, right? Like. I could drop the ball and she could get mad at me or whatever or be or, or whatever it might be but we but because of our daily habits of us doing because we talk so much 
because we, she sees me doing those personal habits to grow myself, because she sees me investing in leading a Bible study or being around in coaching and being all these other things, she knows I'm doing the things to grow myself. So we give each other space for that. I always tell, tell people to like, I'm, I'm just really good at like responding rather than reacting. And I can get in that moment so where I can just play the tape forward. Then I go, if I yell at her right now or I get frustrated, there will be zero benefit of this, zero. So what is the point of me doing this right here? And I'm really good at quickly thinking about that. And she's just good at that as well, because we've just gotten to that point. That I'm, I, why do I want to break her down? Like you're saying on here, I'm going to encourage her from my wife and I champion the heck out of her. That, do you think that raises her self-worth and sees that she can do anything? Like I have I had no self-worth. The only reason I was a drug addict, no self-worth. The only mm -hmm. reason I quit on the business and when God told me not to was because I had no self-worth. But now we have so much self-worth, we believe, and I can t t preach that to her, and she knows it's the truth. And so people can call it BS, people can call it whatever, but I'm just setting the standard of what's actually possible in life when you go out and do things the right way. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's absolutely, it's very encouraging, you know. It, it's encouraging to see relationships that, I feel like this is how it was supposed to be designed, to complement one, one, one another. Like yeah. we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses, but isn't it so nice and so comforting to be able to default to one another, yeah. to be able to rely on each other and lean on, on, on each other? Like that's why we're here, you know? Well, as, as we kind of come to a close, like I want to get some final thoughts. Like if there's people out there struggling in their marriages – or struggling with like self-worth, what advice do you have for them? Where should they start? What's the foundation? Like where should they go first? Um, I'll, I'll start with the marriage and it comes back to that line I just told you about the Bible of love your neighbor as yourself. You have to start with loving yourself because if not, you're gonna be pouring out from an empty cup and that's a losing battle every single time uh, down the road. And so you have to really start with yourself and say, I'm gonna do something about it. Nobody ever wants to take extreme ownership, even if, your, your wife's an axe murderer. Take ownership for helping her be that. You know, that we all play a part into it. So take the external ownership on yourself because then when you're pointing the finger, you give away all the control. When you point it at yourself, you have all the control in yourself and then you can do something about it. So really start there with yourself and your marriage. And when you do that, because they always say it takes two to make a great marriage. You're right, but it starts with one. Mm -hmm. And when you can start with that one, that's exactly what happened in my marriage. It eventually transferred to my wife. Don't quit after three weeks because you didn't get the results. It took three years for my wife to go to church with me. It mm -hmm. took years for her to do the personal development. But that's why we literally have arguably one of the best marriages I've ever seen. If you just don't stop, you'll get there. People just are so fast these days. I gotta have it now, gotta have it now. So start with yourself, right? And then those other things is creating some disciplines in your life, right? And, and really doing some daily habits in those four pillars. I say physical, mental, spiritual, and relational. And start proving to yourself that you can actually do those things. And it's crazy what happened. One last thing, I have, a, I have a priority list that I say everybody, and I'll explain it real quick. My priority list I recommend for everybody is God, self, marriage, kids, business. If you keep that order in what it's supposed to be, your life will almost have no stress and no anxiety. God's self-explanatory self means focusing on those four, four pillars, growing yourself. Then you bring a full cup to your marriage. Then when you both bring a full cup, that overflows onto your kids. And then when it overflows onto your kids, your house is going well. And then when your house is happy, you go into your business and you dominate because you're not bringing any of that stress. And then you scale your business to the roof, but you never let your business come before any of that. And amazing, amazing things will happen in your life. Well, those are very like powerful words, Tommy. I like, I really appreciate the time that you took to come on here. Very knowledgeable, very insightful. And I think that you've given a lot of people hope. 
And if there's anything that, you know, I want my viewers to kind of take away is that good marriages are possible. Healthy relationships are possible. But like you said, it does start with you. Tommy, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, the bestest place is, is Instagram. Just Tommy McAllister okay. at Instagram. And my, my website's highlevelhusband.com if you want even more info. But Instagram, I think, is the best place just to connect with anybody on there. Okay, so slide into his DMs, everybody. Until next time, pop the pink pill, guys.